This week on the Sportflex. This week, the fairy tale continues for the Jack Jumpers, but can they steal the King's crown? Chris Paul continues to hold off Father Time as the Phoenix Suns power ahead in the second round. And the Dockers might just be the real deal as West Coast fall into an abyss. Oh <laughs> yeah, they sure are. Let's go. It's 8.49pm WA time. I'm looking at your screen, you bugger. I'm Five, four, <laughs> three, two, one. It's 8.50. It's 8.50 on Thursday the 5th of May. Not recording on our normal Tuesday. I thought we were going to record yesterday as well. So I had all this stuff about May 4th and Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. May the 5th be with you. Yes, indeed. Well, it's more appropriate for me because I've never seen a Star Wars movie in my life. There you go. Something that a man did not believe when I told him at a pub. I was wearing a San Antonio Spurs shirt once because I have long hair and glasses, so I look a bit geeky, I guess. But I was wearing a Spurs shirt. And he's like, oh, what's that shirt? I'm like, oh, San Antonio Spurs. He's like, oh, have you ever seen Star Wars? Like, what do you think of Star Wars? Random. Well, he's pegged me as a nerd, right? So, yeah, I know. But I was like, no, I've actually never seen a Star Wars in my yeah. entire life. And it's a badge of honor. And well, um, I mean, I've only seen the first six and I saw them when I was 21. Yes. Well, there you go. So, same yes, deal. Similar we, deal. Don't right? come to us for Star Wars podcasts. Anyway, 100th episode, Shuey. Now, I won't ask if you think we'd get here because I know you didn't think we'd get to 50. So, uh, <laughs> oh, no, I thought we'd get to 100. I just didn't think we'd make 50. <laughs> always, always had the faith. Now we can uh, we can officially take the helmet off. Yeah, I was going to say. So if we raise the bat kind of to the pavilion in a nice gentle fashion, if for the 100, it's taking the helmet off, a bit of a fist pump maybe, a bit, bit more of a demonstrative bat shake. Yeah, we'll get run out next ball, no doubt. For that. <laughs> <laughs> and look, things are changing for the sport blokes. This will be the last of this type of episode in a sense. We won't go into more detail about that now. Definitely keep an eye on things heading forward because we will talk about more. We've got too much to get through now, so keep an ear out for the next few weeks. But unless you've got any Wordle stuff, Stewie. Yeah, I got one in one the other day. No, I didn't know. No. no. It's funny, though, because I was talking about that with my girlfriend and she, she was like, yeah, but one is a fluke. Like, two's good. Do you know what I mean? Like, Oh, absolutely. A fluke would be nice every now and then. Well, it's like a, a hole in one. It's like a, bir- yeah, a, bir- yeah, a birdie yeah. on a par three looks amazing. A hole in one, it's like, well, I hate you for having one. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Not you, because you'll never have one. No, no I really won't. You, we got to play golf. Yeah. Oh, I have mini golf. I, I oh, yeah. get hold yeah, of many, many of those at yeah. times. But yeah. yeah. Anyway, as we do at the top every week, we'll call your attention. And what'd you miss? No, no, no. You first. Oh, okay. Well, it is the 100th. I guess we'll do something different. Yeah, we'll throw an audible. Yeah. So NFL draft was last week. The first pick, Devin Lloyd, lifted Roger Goodell about four foot off the ground. Oh, wow. I did not see that. (laughs) It was hilarious. Aussie draftee Daniel Falelli, apologies if I pronounced that wrong. He is the largest NFL player in history now as a result of his... Did you say pronounced that wrong? I did. I did. It's (laughs) ironic. And I didn't even read it. I know. I know. I was just pushing through. (laughs) Don't you love irony like that? Yeah, absolutely. AJ Brown was traded to the Eagles for the 18th pick. Safety Tyron Matthew has gone to New Orleans. So it's yet another player that's left Kansas City. So I'm not convinced that they'll be the contenders that they have been in the past. DeAndre Hopkins has got six games for performance-enhancing drug issues. And then in Cleveland, Hugh Jackson's tanking claims are unfounded, apparently, the league says. So a lot going on in the NFL. That's uh, some points of interest there as well. As you know, Shri, I'm not a big soccer guy, but apparently the Real Madrid-Manchester City Champions League match had this crazy comeback. Oh, it was absolutely nuts. So basically, Real Madrid were a couple of goals behind going into stoppage time. 
And Rodrigo basically scores the equaliser. He actually scored two goals in the space of two minutes, took it to extra time, and Real Madrid won to go into the final of the Champions League. Oh. Uh, I believe they're playing Liverpool for the, the big cup. Did Man City choke? Oh, absolutely. They did. Any, ah. Anytime you're up two goals going yeah, into yeah, stoppage yeah, time, yeah. you just kill the ball. The reason I actually say that is because we've got Choke Special 3 coming up very soon. Mm-hmm. So keep an eye out for that one. Well, recorded. Well. We just need to edit the thing. Indeed. Speaking of soccer, there were Buddy Franklin-like scenes when Bournemouth defeated Nottingham Forest 1-0 to earn a bid into the Premier League. It's relegation and elevation time in that sport. So that's very exciting. You, oh, just... It's great when the crowd hits the pitch like that, isn't it? It's just such good scenes. Yeah, COVID, COVID. Yeah, COVID. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm just pretending it, that doesn't. No, exist. it's look, it's awesome, but it's also scary at the same time. Yeah, no, that, good, you're right. Good for them, though. And then finally, John Rahm won the Mexican Open. He's doing all right for himself. He's doing very well for himself. Yeah. yeah. So, what about yourself, mate? Well, following on from John Rahm, very, very uh, great segue there. A little bit of trivia without notice for you. Oh dear. Because I know how great you are with golf. Golf trivia. Oh dear. So I saw a graphic that showed that there are three guys since 1986 with the highest career win percentage on the PGA. The only three guys with a win percentage of 10% or more. Okay. John Rahm has 14 wins from 140 starts. So 10%. He's, yep. he's one guy. Who do you think the other two are? Tiger Woods. Correct. Number one with 22.2%. Phil Mickelson. Not a bad guess. Uh, okay. Uh, Rory McIlroy? No, he's, yeah. he was a bit of a flash in the pan, wasn't he? Goes back a little bit further. Uh, okay. He's a bit controversial right now. Been in the news a lot. Jeez, think, you're making me look bad on episode 100. Think, think walking on the beach with a fairly prominent looking... Oh, I was going to say the shark. Fairly yeah. prominent looking package. Yeah, right. John... The hammerhead. Yeah, okay. John. <laughs> Greg Norman. Greg ten, Norman. 10.2%. So, oh, yeah. I should have. I should have. Yeah, okay. There, there you go. go. There yeah. you go. Speaking of chokers, <laughs> actually, we'll, we'll feature him well, in an episode. Well, of... yes, we will, actually. Yeah. We will. Yep. We've got a very good one for him. Now, the other really amazing thing that caught my attention this week was Michael Kish in America completed a 100-metre dash in a time of 13.47 seconds this week. Doesn't sound that impressive, does it? Well, it's, it's probably better than what I could do. It's probably a lot quicker than both of us could. <laughs> and especially when you consider that every single person who finished the final of 100 metres at Tokyo came in under 10 seconds. Yes, this guy was born in 1952. He is 70 years old, Bagel. Wow. 70. Yeah. Before McDonald's was even a thing, he was born. Like, <laughs> and he ran that time quicker than I'll probably ever run it again. So, yeah, just absolutely an amazing achievement from a guy who is entering the twilight of his life. And it reminded me of how often we've seen these sorts of amazing feats on the show over the last 100 episodes. Yeah, we've spoken about Dimitri on Jordanides, who completed a marathon at 98 years of age. There was Gus Andrione, who had a hole in one at 103. <laughs> Still hate the guy. And I even saw footage recently of former Milwaukee Buck Marquez Johnson dunking at age 66. Wow. It's like when they wheel out JC at the Wildcats games every now and then to just do a little two-handed jam. <laughs> oh, it's so impressive. It really is. So I guess the message is don't give up on us oldies. We've still got a bit to give. <laughs> <laughs> not even 40 yet oh dear what'd you miss mate well i must say i haven't watched as much nba this week i focused really heavily on the nbl and how could you not and we'll talk about that in a moment so i've relied more on the talking heads the highlights the articles the podcast more that sort of stuff i saw a bit but not as much as i would have liked yeah yeah, yeah. Fair enough. what about yourself well one of the things i really missed last week when we were talking about the nbl rookie of the year award and i said i haven't really cared about that award since john really 
Well, yeah, I kind of glossed over Josh Giddy and Lamelo Ball and Nick Kay and Angus Brand and Anatoly Bowes and Axel Dench. But, well, but technically, you could still be correct when you said you didn't care. So true, could... but I but I should have cared. Yeah, about okay, it. Yeah. I mean, Josh Giddy, Josh Giddy went to my team <laughs> yes, in the yes, NBA. So basically, there was a ton of really good ones that I just didn't even think about. And actually, I didn't get a chance to see any of the Sydney Illawarra series live because I spent a ton of time at the WA Open Golf over the weekend following my half-brother-in-law, or half-brother-in-law, I guess you would say, my my wife's half-brother, following him around. I mentioned that last week. And, and thankfully that weather cleared up because that was a horrid day that first day. It was. It meant to go on Thursday, gave that away, went Friday and Sunday instead. Yeah, and it was, a, yeah, it was a beautiful walk around the course. Absolutely gorgeous place. He's actually up playing in Palmerston in the Northern Territory, just outside of Darwin, basically yeah, in the okay. Northern Territory Open. So Very good. Keep firing well, son. I'll tell you what, though. If, if watching sports live is the standard, then I'm screwed because I hardly see anything live. It feels like during basketball playoff time, it feels like I'm on a phone embargo nearly all the time yeah. because I, social media, like chats, everything, want to avoid spoilers. Oh, tell you what, glad I avoid spoilers for Melbourne Tassie game three. Yeah, I even oh. I, I even resisted messaging you going, it was an amazing game because I knew that would give away the result. Well, not necessarily, but it was just good to go in completely clean. Yeah, I just felt the tone of any message, would you could read into it and you'd be like, oh my God, he's excited. Maybe Tazzy won. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So let's get stuck into it, hey? Mm-hmm. The first time since 2017, the grand final is a matchup between the third and fourth seeds. The Wildcats beat the Hawks in 2017. That was the Bryce game series, obviously. Funnily enough, both games one and two were 89-77. Sorry to bring that up, Cody. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, uh, and oh my goodness, what what a story. We've we've got to start with that series, don't we? The one for Melbourne United finished top of the ladder, did very well. Neither of us picked them in the playoffs. No. But geez. Now, again, I won't ask you if they choked because they obviously did. Well, there's two there's two things. One, if Tassie end up winning the grand final, that maybe takes away from the choke a little bit. But two, because we're doing more choke specials and things, <laughs> we might even look at it. So anyway, again. Keep listening in the future weeks to kind of uh, hear our updates on where we're heading with the show. Just quickly, Nate, before we sort of get into the series, I have to say, calm as a bitch, isn't it? Oh, sure is. Yeah, careful what you wish for, Melbourne yes. United. <laughs> so Melbourne thought that screwing the Wildcats over and getting Tassie in was the easier pass to the grand final, but it bit them in the ass royally. It really did. And look, had the golding injury not happened, maybe they would have been okay, but it did happen. And I think you could collectively hear all of the Red Army yelling out, suck shit as the final buzzer went on this series. (laughs) I was really happy with how it was officiated. It was very tough and very physical, but I thought it was officiated super well. I'd be happy if the the league was officiated like this all the time during the regular season. Wow. I completely disagree. Oh, really? Uh, I thought the amount of stuff they let go was ridiculous. Too much? Yeah, okay. Ridiculous. I I just, I I like flowing games without stoppages and without replays. And I mean, I know Joe on the Pocket Podcast said a similar thing. Yeah, look, I mean, don't get me wrong. It was a little bit fairer than I was expecting. I thought at at one point, I think I took a screenshot of a foul count that was like six or seven nothing to Melbourne United. And I thought, oh, here we go. The, the refs are going to screw over Tassie. Right. Which game is this? I think it was game three from memory. Oh, okay. Where okay. I think it was the first six or seven fouls went on Tassie. And I thought, ah, oh, this is not. Yeah, right. right. I didn't pick up on that. I don't recall that. But okay. it, it did even out fairly quickly. And, and eventually it got to the point where I thought, well, this isn't actually that relevant anymore and deleted it. But yeah, I, I thought, don't get me wrong. I, th- I think it was very fair in terms of the fact that they were letting stuff go both ways. 
but Jesus Christ, it was physical. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like to the point where you go past saying, oh, it's playoffs, it's playoffs. No. Yeah, okay. Oh, that's interesting. It, that's... it felt like a game of rugby at one point. Well, I, yeah, I, I guess I, I like it when there's not as many stoppages and when it doesn't become a free throw shooting contest no, and that enough. sort of thing. Should we go through the games? So, look, game one was a real grind. It went according to plan, really. It was probably the least entertaining playoff game of the entire playoffs in the first round. I don't really have many more notes than that. I don't know if you have much on game one. I mean, a little bit. I, I, the way that I have it is exactly the same. Yeah, it was a grind. It went according to plan. That Those are perfect ways to sum it up. The way I looked at it was I thought, Tassie are going to push them with their effort. Ultimately, Melbourne are going to be too big and smash them on the boards. And they did that. 52 yeah. to 32 plus 20. Yeah. That is beyond a smash. Yeah, yeah, no, that's huge. The points in the paint plus 12 to Melbourne. Second chance points plus 12 to Melbourne. Those three are an absolute surefire recipe for success, I guess. JLA killed them. 21.7 boards, six blocks. First five-block game in a playoff since Larry Davidson all the way back when he was with uh, Illawarra in 2013 or 2014 or something like that. Interesting. Do you know what else is interesting with Larry Davidson? It feels like he has been retired for ages. It does. He was actually born the same year as us, for starters, which is kind of scary. Yeah, okay, yeah. But it's only been six years. Yeah, It okay. feels like it's been like 10. And Maddie Knight only retired one year after him. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. But, uh, yeah, Caleb Agata, excellent. Didn't even matter that Golding shot the ball terribly. They pressured Tazzy into poor percentages, like 36% shooting. Josh Majette was a non-factor. It didn't look great. But it was not, looking ominous, wasn't it, after that first game? Yes, but not nearly as bad as Delhi's left-handed free throw. <laughs> Did that come up about five feet short? <laughs> so I have to say this. This uh, pisses me off because there's that DoorDash ad where, yes, with the, <laughs> where, where he's playing against the scrubs and he takes a left-handed jump shot at one point. I don't have any faith that that even went close to the ring there. So <laughs> that gets so much discussion on Twitter. Yeah, so it should. Uh, so yeah, it a bit should. of a nod to DoorDash. There you go. So, yeah, that that exactly right. That went exactly to plan. Now, game two. Fantastic. So, Tazzy could have very easily just rolled over, said, we're far too short. We're done. Just happy to be here. But boy, oh boy, did they fight. And I'm really glad that... So, quite early in the piece, Golding copped a bit of an elbow, but he flopped big time. And it was really interesting, like, Gazy and them in the commentary were like, oh, if this was the regular season, they would have spent 10 minutes going through replays and reviews and this, that, and the other. So I'm really glad they let that go because it wasn't a flagrant. He flopped. I think Jack McVeigh hit him, though. I, I don't think it was as... He did hit him, but he flopped. It like, was, it wasn't flagrant. It was No, absolutely yeah. not. It's not as big a flop as we, people expect from Golden because he, he does have a bit of a history. But he did... Get, oh, he has he a got, huge history. But yeah. he got hit. By yeah. Him. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. So they managed to hold Melbourne to 12 points in the first quarter, which really set the table quite nicely. As the game unfolded, though, you're kind of thinking, holy shit, our predictions last week could ring very, very true. But they didn't. And I'm afraid I can't remember the guy's name, but a bloke from Clutch Radio said the other day that you could literally feel the stands shaking. That's how loud and crazy it got. And I don't think it came through on the television broadcast that well, but I actually... And it's really cool that Clutch Radio still have all the full game calls up. I don't know if you're aware of that. But I went back and listened to the fourth quarter of both game two and game three today while I was at work. And boy, oh boy, they were loud. You like the commentary, you could barely hear the commentary at times. So I fully believe that those stands were shaking. It was incredible. Well, I think we'll maybe talk about the the fan side of things maybe after we get to the end of game three. Yes, sure. Um, yep. Spoiler yep. alert, it went through. <laughs> <laughs> uh 
a very important note. They played Enter Sandman and Crazy Train on back-to-back possession. I did hear Sandman. I didn't remember Crazy Train, but there you go. Back-to-back, yeah. Is, so I was, I was very, uh, that, very happy that with that. That is cool. Where do, where do you want to go? What have you got with this one? Well, I, I mean, I love the fact that Tassie made adjustments. And, and this is where the signs of a great coaching staff really come to the fore, is when a team has played well, pushed a team really hard to the line. And the other really weird thing from game one, I have to say, Tassie got it back to like a six-point game and then subbed Adams out of the game. Like, I don't understand why that. He just hit a three. They subbed him out. I don't know if it was like an offense for defense sub. Oh, yeah, okay. And they get the ball back. And who's shooting a three? It was like Jared Weeks. So if you actually did do some good things in the series, he did hit some big shots at times. But if but yeah, yeah, Adams is you prefer. Yeah, yeah. that's Adams and he hits it. It's a three point out anyway. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, they made it. As I say, all of these adjustments they evened up the points in the paint. They evened up the rebound count to an extent. They forced United to take more threes, which was great. Oh, and they were woeful the whole series from beyond the arc. Well, it was the right game plan. Keep him shooting outside. Do you want the full stats for the, the series? Oh, I know that they were one for 16 at one point in that second game. I'll tell you what, let's leave that for the end of okay, the Okay, yep, yep. But they, they were terrible. Golding three of 12 was actually a highlight. Yeah, right. Which is not great. And he did hit some timely shots where you're starting to go, ooh, could they steal this one? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I was a bit surprised at one stage. Early in the second quarter, United were down seven. They had Delhi, Joe Luala-Chul, Ariel Huckporty, and Caleb Agata all on the bench weird weird lineups at some stages mm. by Vickerman so yeah it was it was interesting yeah I noted that too actually there were some interesting lineups yeah there were but they you know you look on the flip side Tazzy got awesome minutes out of Clint Steindl Jared Bairstow all of these cast Bairstow was fantastic in both games like granted playing a role he doesn't have big numbers but timely boards timely buckets played good Good D, like the whole team plays. He and Chris Levich played. Yeah, oh, Chris Levich as the super, super undersized centre. Well, and Jack McVay, for that matter. As really undersized guys that small forwards playing power forward or centre, basically, Mm. did terrific jobs on guys way taller and bigger than them many times, yeah. Mm. Speaking of Chris Golding that you mentioned before, what do you make of that, that overturned three where he kicked out, they've called the foul pretty late in the game from memory, yeah, I called it straight away. As soon as it happened, I was like, challenge that. Yeah, well, it was interesting on Clutch Radio. One of the guys, even after the game, because I heard a bit of the aftermath as well when I listened today, he was still kind of scratching his head. But I agree. I think that Golding created the contact and and it was the right call. It was gutsy, very gutsy. And I don't know, would they have overturned it if it was a Melbourne home game? But I think it was the right call. I, I just, I think there was a point where the leg was further forward than a natural shooting motion. Definitely. So, yeah, you've got to call it. And I can't remember who the defender was at Adams. I can't remember who the defender was, but he clearly tried to avoid Golding and he would have avoided him had he not kicked his leg out. So I think that intent maybe played a part too because he clearly wasn't trying to foul. He was trying to avoid yeah. it. Yeah. And you know what? It's hard to know. If, it, if that's, say, Bryce Cotton, for example... It's hard to know whether we would feel the same way or whether, you know, the Wildcats coloured glasses would come on and we'd be like, oh, no, because he does. He gets fouled on a lot of throws. Oh, of course he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's it's hard to know whether we would have the same viewpoint if it was a cotton three as opposed to a golding three. So it... Oh, of course. I, I personally, I think it probably was an offensive foul. I don't have a problem with it, but it, it was yeah, a big, big, big play. I do just have to quickly say, you, know, you were saying before how we were kind of getting excited Said last week, we thought it was going to come down to a, a stage where Tassie were ahead by a little bit. 
and they would lose in heartbreaking fashion. And I actually went as far as to say five points up five yeah. with 40 seconds left. Yep. And that actually happened. Yeah, yeah. And I know I was thinking, I know you were thinking, oh, absolutely. Like, Holy was. shit, yeah, this, yeah. this could yeah. happen. Yep. And yeah, sure enough. Mikael McIntosh makes a massive, massive play late in that game. He was big on the boards in games two and three. He, he played very well in games two and three as well. I think of all the third imports in the league, he's had the biggest growth across the season out of all of them. Oh, definitely, definitely. And like I said a few weeks ago when when Magne went down, it wasn't great that he went down, but it was, it was great for McIntosh because I think he really blossomed in those circumstances where he probably didn't feel like he'd get pulled off the court as often or as quickly. And he could really make a, a really important impact. And they'll need an impact from him in, in the final series for them to have any chance. Absolutely. Any chance. So game three was a bit interesting for me. I don't know. You probably watched it live, did you? I did. So people that listen to us regularly enough will know that I MC a quiz on Monday nights. And, and so I got to the pub at about 6.30ish. And it's a sports bar. And I'm thinking, oh, and I have to like shield my eyes. But luckily they didn't have it on. They had rugby. They had other stuff on. And our slide screens went up at like seven o'clock. And so I managed to avoid the result. Didn't listen to the radio on drive home, nothing like that. Managed to avoid the result. So I don't think I even finished watching till nearly 2 a.m. Wow. <laughs> Tuesday morning. Well, that's brutal. But, oh my God, I was so just captivated by the whole thing. Even, even down to the, the suspense that the time issues brought on. You know how they had to yeah, have yeah. a couple of delays? Yeah. Uh, so I didn't actually fast forward. I only fast forwarded through the breaks. So I watched the full quarters and just kind of tried to replicate that live experience as much as I could. Yep. And as I say, yeah, it was just so captivating and just, oh my goodness, what a game. So we probably need to address just quickly, I guess, the turning point in the whole series at that stage. About an hour before tip-off, it was announced that Chris Golding wouldn't suit up. He had a calf injury from the warm-ups. He shot the ball pretty poorly in the first two games, but you still have to honour him and you have to chase him around. Oh, he's a closer. And their offence is very different without him. And, yeah. and so that was game one at that stage. And yeah, we started speculating on the chat, didn't we? We were kind of, so this was a couple of hours before, so we were like, oh, no, they should still win. But it does, it, it shrinks the margin for error a lot. It, yeah. it does. And that was the first Melbourne United playoff game that Golding's ever missed. Yeah, right. In their entire franchise history. It's only Vickerman's second ever home loss in the playoffs, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I have to ask this question straight off the bat. Was there ever a game that suited Josh Adams better than this one? And I'll, I'll maybe clarify that. Kind of poor shooting from both sides. The more that shots were missed, the more you could kind of see that people's confidence were dropping, except for Adams. He was the only guy that no matter how many times he missed, he actually looked as confident as he was before that. Oh, yeah, he's one of those guys that just, or what Bill Simmons calls an irrational confidence player. Definitely, Absolutely. Definitely. Jesus has got a lot of mongrel in him, doesn't he? He does. He, he's like, he's a, a word away from a tech foul at any given moment, I feel like. <laughs> hey, and, and I felt like a couple of times in game three, I'm like, oh, shit, mate, you've done a lot of good work here. Don't ruin it with a tech. Yeah. <laughs> he was yeah. very lucky. How's this? He's the first player to score 30 in the 40-minute game era when he had none at quarter time. Yeah. Okay. So he had 30 and three quarters. In an away playoff game. I think the thing that impressed me the most was that early in the game, the jump shots weren't really going for him. And Roth sat him down, gave him a couple of words, and he got back in and he just started attack mode. That's right. Get, to the, get to the rack. Yep. He couldn't get to the free throw line to save himself. He should have had about 12 or 14 free throws in that game. It was ridiculous. But he kept attacking and just not thinking about the contact. And he finished. And he knew that he was the best player on that court. Yep. That, that you could see that you know other guys made big plays i mean josh majet's three against the shot clock late in that game was just huge 
Jack, oh, he had some timely threes the entire series. He, he yeah. did. Yeah. Jack McVay had that tough fadeaway over Jack. Oh, he had a couple of really tough shots. Yeah, but, but really that, tough. That's what he's been doing yeah, all yeah. season. What a game. Fantastic. Good D. Oh. But the shot. Oh, yes. So that double step back, which quite frankly is still a travel to me, after he carried the ball, but... Let's not focus on the... No, well, John Morant carries the ball every time he touches. I mean, so many players carry the ball these days, don't they? It's just one of those things. But essentially, a double clutch three as the defender went past him, all bottom. Yeah. I mean, that's the time. And and Homicide called it. He said, that's game. Yeah. No one's coming back from that. I'll tell you what, though. They nearly threw it away twice, I reckon. Because I reckon they thought they had it won or knew they had it won, inverted commas. They can say that now that they did win on two different occasions. One was with about five minutes left and then one was with about two minutes left. And then Jack White played really well down the stretch in both games oh, two the, and three. The, the alley-oop. Yeah. Three, oh, yeah. they had two massive alley-oops in both games two and three. Like at really timely, important alley-oops. Now, they didn't end up winning, but gutsy calls and great execution. Yeah. and then get But it, yeah, get Melbourne it, yeah. was still in it because people were missing free throw. Both teams were woeful from the free throw line. Horrific. Well, Melbourne were like, what, 50% almost? Give 10 time. of 19 or something? This is where we need Jackson McDonald. I know, <laughs> I know he had the stat on Twitter somewhere, but yeah, it, it wasn't pretty. But oh my goodness, McIntosh had some massive O boards to keep possessions he alive did. for Tassie down the stretch. A guard fouled out, which was pretty big. On a stupid play as well. And he, he didn't have a great game, did he? I mean, yeah. it, that... I think a lot of the reasons why we picked Melbourne out of the playoffs kind of came to the fore without Golding playing, wasn't mm. it? Like it, it just, some of their deficiencies offensively and defensively, they're amazing. And Illy had a really good game and he played good D. But without Golding, they were exposed. I think I think absolutely Melbourne were outcoached and I think they failed in two areas. I think they didn't run enough and I think they didn't use the bigs and go inside enough. Mm. And they started that fourth so well. JLA had a couple of shots. A little like JLA was going to go base mode and score 15 in the last quarter or something. He and took, then it he, just... He took like 10 shots. It just stopped happening. Like they started the quarter really well, but they, they weren't pounding it inside. I, I don't know. I think they missed a trick. And then there was another play where Udai Barber just sprinted down the court and he missed the layup. But that if they'd had that sort of intent for the rest of the quarter, they'd probably win the game. Mm. But they just weren't... They, they allowed Tassie to control the tempo far too much. Yeah. So this to me feels like as big a Cinderella story as like the Miracle on Ice, that sort of level. Like it is one of the best stories. I do want to kind of sum up the series with a few little key talking points. So we mentioned before the three-point shooting. Yep. For United in all three of those games, they shot 53% or more from two and 20% or less from three. Wow, yeah. 17 of 88 at at 19.3% from the series. Yeah. That's horrendous. It is. The pickup of Udai Barber was meh, really didn't really do much. Same sort of defensive player. Well, they just didn't give him many minutes. I think Illy, Illy took some of the minutes he would have had last season. Mm. Yeah. But, you know, he didn't, sh- for that yeah, matter, he didn't shoot the ball well. He didn't have a half court shot while traveling. <laughs> but I think we saw the difference that Jock Landau made last season. That guy who refuses to let his team lose. You saw it. Every time they were back against the wall, Landau demanded the ball. And he would hit a three. He would get. Yeah, no, get, it's a good point. He'd get to the basket. Yeah, whereas JLA yeah. didn't really have that same sort of thing. United just couldn't score against Tassie. Like of their six lowest totals this season, five of them were. Yeah, against I saw that. They showed that on the game. Five. Yeah. Yep. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah. And under eighty every single time, and in the low seventies. Yeah. Yeah. Very it's impressive. Not pretty. Now the crowds. We kind of mentioned this. What a letdown for Melbourne. Oh yeah, yeah. Particularly game three. 
You need that sixth man. It was terrible. I've got numbers for you. Okay. So we always talk about Sydney crowds being kind of average, but I mean, you've got a semi-final series. They threw out 5,268 in game one, 4,816 in game three. Mm, the home of basketball. Yeah, exactly. Did they, do you reckon they took it for granted and people were pinching their pennies for the grand final series? I think, I think they did. Yeah. Because this is the thing. Tassie had more at game two and their stadium holds nearly 6,000 less than John Kane Arena. Wow. Well, and there was a fair few Tassie fans at game three. They were louder than the Melbourne yeah, fans. Yeah, yeah, they were really good. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're on, the Tassie crowds are unreal. I saw a guy in the Tassie game who would have been like mid-30s with his face painted, for God's sake. Yeah, yeah. His face was painted. Yeah. He was like our age. Yep. That's how excited they well, are. Well, and I, here's my note here. This is a crowd that doesn't take live sport for granted mm. because they've had so little of it. Yep. It, it all is very meaningful. Yep. It is. Yep. And I did see on one of the Melbourne United fan pages on Twitter after game one, they made some excuse. Oh, it's a Thursday night game and it's the semis. Even Perth has poor crowds in semifinals. Bullshit. Oh, yeah. No, that was rubbish. We would have got more at game one yeah. than they had in both of them. Combined. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That's a Melbourne problem, not a Perth thing. No, no, no. No, don't drag Perth into this. Yeah. Yeah, Perth, Perth prop up the crowd numbers yeah. consistently. So Tassie, the first expansion side to make a grand final since Geelong in 1982. That's 40 years ago. Yes, the Victoria Titans made it in 1999 in their first season. But, but that they, was more of a merger. That was a rebrand, yeah, effectively. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, amazing. In that vein, Stewie, I just wanted to highlight a couple of tweets. Now, this is fully like just leeching off Liam Santamaria's <laughs> Twitter. Like These are all, all replies to him. So, you know, hats off to him and... and Shout out to all these people. David Bartlett, 30 years of hurt are over. I was at the last game of the Devils as a season ticket holder of five years. This is me sitting next to my son and wife at the Jack Jumper semi-final game, the best of times. He's been a really good follow on Twitter. There's a lot of, there's some really cool, we finally got some Tassie listeners. It took a long time to get Tassie listeners on how the last of the party, but um, Shane Crixus, I have been bitter towards the NBL for 26 years. Devils were my life as a youngster. And I can relate to that. If the, if the same thing had happened to the Wildcats, I would have been bitter too. I can completely understand. Shirley Williams, I am one of them from the devil days. Was there for their last game. Cried along with most others present. Have shed a few tears at different times throughout the season in awe of what the JJs achieved in their first year. Mark Blackburn. I'll paraphrase this one a little bit because clearly the uh, Twitter character counts has been factored in here. So Matt, Matt Blackburn. I was at the game when the Jack Jumpers were announced and I told my kids we were getting memberships. They had never been to a basketball game. I got eye rolls and yeah, yeah, dad. Now I can't keep them away. They gave up big bash games for the JJs. Unthinkable 12 months ago. And that's why I included that one because there's been a lot of talk about Tassie sport and the AFL and this, that and the other. So that's big. And then finally, Mark Nash, former player Mark Nash. Former Adelaide 36er. Well, and... And Brisbane Bullet, I believe. And, and Hobart Tassie Devil. Tassie Devil, yeah. I played in that last game in 96. We thought the team would be back in 98. It's such a joy now to sit in the stands and watch with my teenage kids. The basketball environment in Taz right now is unbelievable. And it really is. It really, really is. Now, before we go to our picks, we've got to talk about the other series, which is almost forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> so Hawks and Kings. So Kings threw in a sweep, which isn't surprising, but is in a sense because they didn't have home court. But like we said, we wouldn't have been surprised with any outcome mm. really, would we? Game one was a real arm wrestle, I've got to say. There was an entertaining first quarter, quarter and a half maybe, before Sydney basically broke the game apart with a 30 to nine second quarter. Illawarra actually got it down to eight with just over six minutes left and then got it down to 78-75 on a duop re three with about three minutes left. 
So you're thinking, oh, okay, Illawarra have got a bit of fight here. But then the Kings outscored the Hawks 11-3 to from that point on. And yeah, I don't know, not, not the best of games. Illawarra put up a bit of a fight, as they should at home. Mm. But Kings got it done. Yep, that's it. I mean, Jalen Adams was superb, 30 points in the game. Just in case we didn't believe he was the MVP of the league. Oh, I don't think there'll be many people. I think the only kind of criticisms about the MVP was the amount of games he played. But that's, I mean, even then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then game two, I mean, the Hawks threw it away. With about two minutes left in the second, they had a lead of 54 to 39 after a great block by Defensive Player of the Year, Antonius Cleveland, who took it the length of the court for a layup. And they absolutely had it under control. And then in the second half, it was just complete turnaround. Really disappointing. There were a couple. One of the things that I did actually notice that just has me pulling my hair out. In the third quarter, Kings are up by 16. There was a transition opportunity. Cleveland, we know what sort of player he is. He is an athlete. He's a, a rim runner. and Aggressive. Yeah, instead of running the lane for a dunk, he floated out to the three-point line. No one was within 15 feet of him. And what do you think happened? He missed. Yep. So, and Rath and Mays took some bad shots. Yeah. Tyler Harvey, oh, my God. He is infuriating. I mean, like for how, every, how many times do I have to oh, say? All season. Like, like for, oh. every, for every good thing he did in that game, it felt like he'd followed up with two bad things. And some of the, like, offense with, like, step-back threes over two guys with no passing. Oh, my God. If I were a Hawks fan, I'd be pulling my hair out. And I'm already losing it. I mean, so. shock horror. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know, you're not surprised. All fucking season I've been saying this. He is just, yeah, he, he would be a coach killer, quite frankly, which we'll speak about in a minute, funnily <laughs> enough. But I, I think I saw this really wild stat, and I think this sums up what my issue with the Hawks was all season. Yep. And and I can ask you straight up, what have I said were the big problems with the Hawks? Tyler Harvey yes. and... The lack of rotations in the bench. The lack of rotations, exactly. Ian Clark played less than 48 minutes in the series. He scored 33 points on 12 of 22 shooting. Illawarra's entire bench scored 26 on 11 of 43. In, in about, two games. In about 85 minutes. Wow. Wow. They got nothing from their bench. Xavier Rathan Mays was a negative 30 in the series in his 48 minutes. Wow. Ian Clark was a plus 36. Ian Clark played some very useful minutes. Very that useful. is your series, though. Yeah, yeah. That's it. And clearly the Hawks weren't listening to Gorge when he was saying fuck every five seconds and go out there and be a motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. My favourite timeout of the season. It, well, I think it's the best one of all time. Oh, that Connor Henry one. Do you remember that Connor Henry one from a couple of seasons ago? Nope. Oh, oh yeah, sorry. It's like, you're not blocking out. You're not blocking out. I'm not blocking out. I'm not even fucking playing or whatever it was. <laughs> Ravings of a bad uh, man. Oh, uh, funny. Yeah. So Chase Buford has become the youngest coach in NBL history to sweep a playoff series at 33 years and six months. Trivia without notice. You want to have a crack? It's not written there. It's all right. It's in my head. Oh, good. Okay. Good on you for avoiding the screen. Yeah, no, th 33. Wow, that is young. So he, he pipped the other person by two months. I don't even think I could hazard a guess. Oh, okay. It's going to be something really obvious now. Well, I can give you the year and then it will be obvious. Mm. You don't want to have a crack first? Go on. Go on. I, I just can't think of any young coaches. This is really bad. I can't think of any young coaches. Okay, well, it's not Dave Ingham when he was in Brisbane. He was pretty young. Oh, yes, it was. 1994. 90, oh, Brett Brown. Brett Brown oh, for the new, course. yeah, for okay. the uh, North Melbourne Giants. There you go. Now, speaking of Chase. The reason for his $10,000 fine, which seemed really excessive at the time, is now more apparent. 
So he said, Vaughn and Ruben were really good. I just hope we don't have Chris so we have a chance. Now, this was referring to Vaughn Mabry, Ruben Woodcock, and Chris Reed. Now, it worked because the Kings got Mabry, Woodcock, and Ayland in game one. They didn't get Reed. Now, they are getting Reed in the game final. They are getting series. Chris Reed. I saw that. So apparently, he scribbled NBL refs fucking suck on their door or something. Mm. Holy shit. Like, no wonder he got the. Like, that's. That's very unprofessional. <laughs> and especially coming from the Steve Kerr of the NBL. Well, I, I look, I don't rate him as a coach. I think he's been blessed by having an amazing roster. And I, and I still, I don't rate him as a coach. I just think he's he's blessed the same way that Steve Kerr has been. Well, I tell you what, he might get his stepping stone because they're almost certainly going to win. Let's do picks. Do you think Buford would have made even the, the, even the playoffs with Tazzy's roster? Great question. Can I follow it up with a two-letter answer? <laughs> Fuck no. <laughs> I was going to say no, and then I just changed it. Yeah, because fair I, enough. Yeah. Two words. It just became. There's just yeah. no chance he makes it without roster. Yeah. Mean, no, that's an interesting. It's an interesting point. Yeah. It's an, but instead he'll probably win and go to the NBA on the back of a grand final win in his first season. Well, he's got the MVP of the league. He's got probably the best second import and the best third import in the entire league. He's got one. Oh, of, he's Xavier Cooks, who could be NBA. Yeah, best. he's got one of the best Australians in there, and then. That doesn't even take into account all the other guys. So, but the Kings—they don't even have Hunter. It's an impressive, an impressive oh. road to the final. Oh, I thought you were going to say an impressive roster. Well, it's an impressive roster and too, pay and payroll, which I know. Well, is, uh, look, yeah, no, no, we, I know the Wildcats are the yeah, same. I'm just saying, like, yeah. So, so what's your pick? Ah, oh, I mean, we went 0 for two in the semi-final, so <laughs> I, I think we may as well go for the trifecta: Sydney in a sweep. There's your kiss of death. I'll, look, I'll give Tassie one. Their home crowd was just so good. I'll, I'll pick the Kings in four, which would mean that they would win on Tassie's home deck. I'll, I'll, I'll pick the Kings in four. Do you think the length of the series diminishes Tassie's chance of winning? If it was best of three, would you give them a chance? Probably more of a chance, yeah. And I think that first game is really important. I think they really need to win that first game to have any shot. And I think their margin for error is even slimmer. There's still things they can tighten up. Like Adams threw that horrible pass with about five seconds left that yeah. he shouldn't have thrown. There was some, like I said, they thought I had, they had it won on a couple of different occasions and they made some poor decisions as a result of that, in my opinion. They can't afford to do that against the Kings. What they really can't. Best of one first basket wins. Maybe. Mm. Yeah. But do you think do you think the Kings bigs will do better than the, the United bigs did? I think they'll be a lot more disciplined. I, I think, yeah, if you look at someone like Xavier Cooks, he'll be relentless. I think he'll be a really important piece. If Jack McVeigh thinks he's going to be able to stop him, he's got another thing coming. The only saving grace is Jarrell Martin's a bit shorter physically, but he's he's a big guy. But he's yeah, he's yeah. also Chris Levick will have his hands full. Again. Yeah, and the fact that he can float out and shoot the three at a high clip, it's mm. yeah. Uh, I dare say, get the crown ready, Kings. Yes, most likely. Yep. But can't wait. Can't wait. And while we're doing Twitter shout-outs with our NBL community, Stewie, Full Court Fitness made a really good point. Ants by nature are annoying in copious amounts. They are workers, hustlers. Kings, historically are lazy, overweight, get others to do their bidding. They have their throne and riches, but no passion as they are above the peasants. Mm. Go, Jack Jumpers. Shout-out, Westy. <laughs> Love it. And, and we forgot to mention last week, KO Freebies, which is really good. So watch. If you don't have pay TV, you can watch it for free. Even if you do. Yeah, well. Watch. Yeah. Mm. No, please. Speaking of watching, NBL Sprint. 
Interesting concept. Yeah, it was interesting. I, it was something that I hadn't actually seen. And shout out to Joseph on the NBL Pocket Podcast for coming up with the idea. It's look, it's interesting. It's a it's a great idea, I guess, for the casual fans. If it can draw casual fans in, I'm all for it. The thing I like about it, and apologies for this, this sounds a little bit backhanded, Joseph. It's different to something like an Elam ending because it's not moving the goalposts. The product stays the same. It's just how it's delivered. For people that only want to watch a condensed version and watch what I guess is deemed as the important stuff, which is the fourth quarter, go ahead and do that. If it doesn't change my viewing experience... No, I'm going to watch the full game. But if it drags in some casual fans, fantastic. The only thing is, what if it was a really great first three quarters and a really shitty fourth quarter? But, yeah. Do Do you know what it will help with? like Cairns and New Zealand games and Adelaide games. <laughs> It'll help you get through those. Yeah, it's not a full game, but it's not a mini. Yeah. 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 Good times. Now, just quickly, it's come out that Gorge is, has he stepped down as the Illawarra coach? And Matt McQuaid picked it like a dirty nose last week. He basically said that if, so we just had to uh, pause to find his name, finding Dory. Dory Kadai. So, so basically Matt McQuaid said that if, if Dory's gone, Gorge will be gone. And sure enough, that's what's happened, isn't it? And in that presser after the second game, it did sound like basically a retirement speech. I mean, he's not retiring. He's still with the Boomers. But oh, it's not a good sign for me. No. The Hawks, I mean, Wraith could leave. Uh, Emmett Nash should leave. Well, yeah. Well, it might be the only reason he stays because he might go, well, maybe the next guy will give me minutes. But uh, I worry for the Hawks after mm, this. They could bit. fall from grace after this. So it was such a coup to get Gorge in. Yeah. Yeah, it's talk they might be moved into Sydney. Or Canberra. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Oh, speaking of, there's been talk of a second Perth team, yeah, which that. is absolute craziness. It's that way, that's a really good way of, of potentially hurting the entire market. Why would you dilute the pool like that when you've got a successful team? Mm. I don't so, know. Start so, so bringing the Dockers in. Well... <laughs> I think footy is more popular, so the Dockers True. were more sustainable. True. I, I, I think Perth is a one-team town when it comes to basketball, I so. and I think adding an extra team would be absolute lunacy. It would be. Being a Perth, Bryce has re-upped for three years, so that's a tick in the new ownership uh, column. Yeah, good to see Hutchie at the press conference. Oh, look, that doesn't bother me too much. He's a busy man with media commitments and, and whatnot. I'm happy they signed him. That's the main thing. It's good to see him being hands-on. And the play-in stuff, still a lot of negativity on Twitter about it. I was surprised. I expected there to be more support for it, but no. No, I, I, no I've support got, from us. I've, yeah, and no, I've got no time for it. If you can't figure out who the top four teams are, uh, yeah, it just it would have been such an anti-climax. Yep. I, I really honestly believe that. Yeah, and so, we've had many seasons where the fifth team has been under 500. So why give them a shot? Exactly. Don't reward mediocrity. The league will expand soon. We can expand the playoff field when the league expands. Yep. Once you get up to 12 teams, yeah. make it six. Yep. So, Nate, a lot going on in the NBA playoffs. Before we get into them, there's a couple of things I did want to just quickly mention. Did you see a guy run a 10-mile race dressed in full Allen Iverson get-up, cornrows and everything, dribbling a basketball? No, but I wish I did. That would be like the coolest and most annoying thing to run next to <laughs> for 10 miles. would be like, oh, that's awesome. And then after about... 10 minutes, you'd be like, all right, that bounce. 10 miles is a long way. The bouncing's really annoying. <laughs> yeah. He looked so much like AI, though. It was crazy. <laughs> That's funny. And I saw a spelling on Twitter of Ante de Kumpo that rivaled Basil Zemplis's pronunciation. Oh, no. Ante Eto Mampo. <laughs> ah, yes, yes. Very good. Ante Eto Mampo. Ante Tecotomato. It's, it's up there with Ante Tocotomato. Yeah, it really is. Oh, dearie me. 
How's this? I saw this from Legion Hoops. Now, I haven't verified, but if this is true, 56% of players in the playoffs spent at least some time in the G League. Wow. That so is... that's a big signal that the G League's doing what it's meant it to do. It really is. I mean, Jordan Paul was playing in the G League last year. Mm. And now he's a star, just so about. He's a pretty decent pool of talent. Indeed. Ah. ah. Indeed. By the way, speaking of which, Chase Buford coached one of the Tassie boys in the G League. I can't remember if it was Majette or Adams. Yeah, right. But so there's that weird connection heading into the grand yeah, final. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Anyway, I'll let you carry this segment. So we'll start off in the West. We've got a few first round series to kind of get through and then the start, I guess, of the conference semifinal. So Indeed. we'll start off with the 1-8. Phoenix 4 defeated New Orleans 2. You did say last week you thought it might get to 7. They pushed them. Oh, they did. They did. It was the Booker injury. Had it not been the Booker injury, I wouldn't have given the Pelicans a sniff. They'll take a lot out of that. But also, full credit to the Suns for finishing them off. How crazy a stat line did Chris Paul have in Game 6? 14 of 14. So 14 of 14 from the field, 4 of 4 from the line, 1 of 1 from downtown, 33 points, 5 boards, 8 assists, 33-point game on a 100-100-100 clip at 36 years of age. In an away in a, game. In an away closeout, effectively, yeah. So most points without missing a shot ever in the playoffs and the most makes without missing a shot ever in the playoffs. Point God. Well, I tell you what, while guys like Westbrook and Harden and even Durant are starting to look like they're on the decline, Chris Paul is still producing. He's potentially improving, actually. Yeah. It's oh, insane. Very efficient. So big off-season coming out for New Orleans. Uh, possibly the biggest of all of the playoff teams. The Zion thing, obviously, is massive. We've seen what he can do when he's on the court. Well, he's come out and said, give, give me the Supermax, I'll sign it. So, mm. And look, that's not a surprise because that's what guys do. It's when they force the trade after that. Yeah. So he will sign it. Yeah. But he'd have every reason to want to stay because they've got a great team. So if you look at a potential starting five next season of CJ McCollum, Herb Jones, Ingram, Williamson, and Jonas Valanciunas, that's a very, very impressive starting five. And then you add in a lot of stuff off the bench. Larry Nance Jr., Jackson Hayes, Trey Murphy, Devontae Graham, Kira Lewis, Jose Alvarado. That's a really... Should have mentioned him first. Well, I've got to say that. <laughs> but no, defensively, they'll they'll be good. Yeah. yeah. They, they maybe lack a little bit of shooting, but I mean, that team healthy, that's a tough out. Oh, yeah. And they do have scoring. I mean, McCollum, Ingram, Zion, they'll have scoring. They will. Yeah, no, they'll be good next season. Now, the other half of that part of the bracket, Dallas 4 defeats Utah 2. We weren't super surprised by this, were we? Not massively, but I actually want to go back to a comment that you made where you were talking about the loss of Joe Ingles being maybe bigger than people gave it credit for. Mm. I found something, looking specifically at the three-point shooting, that really summed that up. Now, admittedly, Dallas gave up less threes than any team in the league, but Utah went 49 of 179 from three in that series, just over 27%. Yeah, it's almost Melbourne United numbers. And, well, it's slightly better, but it's not, <laughs> not great. Last year's playoffs, though, they went a touch over 41%. And if you look at the lineup, it's really Ingles is the only guy that's missing. They had five guys in their rotation, Donovan Mitchell, Boyan Bogdanovic, Mike Conley, Royce O'Neal, and Ingles, all shooting over 40%. That's really the difference. They just couldn't make any shots. And Yeah, Conley didn't have a great series. Royce O'Neal has maybe hit the roof. I thought he was still improving, but mm. yeah. But I mean, well, Ingles just offers so much, but it's not just the three-point shooting. It's the playmaking, it's, it's the D. defense is good. Yeah, yeah, he's just a good teammate. He's a good team guy. Mm. Yeah. And look, I think we know the story for Dallas. Luca was insane Well, when he played. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, and that's what makes it even more incredible. It really fact, does. It really does. 
But it was the role players. Jalen Brunson had a breakout series. Maxi Kleber shot the lights out. Boban played like one minute. <laughs> it's, it's nuts. But I have to say, I feel really bad for Bogdanovic at the end of game six. Home court, entire season on the line. And he has a wide open three to basically yeah. extend the series. I mean, not many guys want that pressure. Probably should have killed to the basket for a layup and sent it to overtime. But I think the big question is where to now for Utah? Do they blow it up? Oh, they have to. Surely. I mean, Mitchell and Gobert, there's been rumours that they don't like each other for a long time. There's been rumours that Gobert said it's me or him. Probably will be. Mm. Yeah. I think they have to. I mean, they've persisted with this team for quite some time. The really disappointing thing for me is that they seem to be a regular season team. I heard Ryan Rossillo say the other day that apparently their defensive rating has been worse in the postseason than the regular season, the last six consecutive times they've been to the playoffs. Wow. So they have been a good defensive team and, and they have been able to lock teams down at times. But when it's got to playoff situation and not kind of maybe three and four nights and road and people missing and all that sort of mm. stuff, they come back to the fold in a sense. Mm. So yeah, they have to. They have to blow it up. Yeah, when, but, you, when you get to important parts of your life, jazz is never the answer. <laughs> there you go. Interesting little stat for you. They have only been past the conference semifinals once since the Jordan finals, 06, 07. Yeah. Yep. Once. And you think about all the talented teams they've had. Well, and they've finished in the top three a couple of times in yeah. the last few years. So. But they've yeah. had, obviously, the good good teams recently. They had the Deron Williams, the Carlos Boozer, Mehmet Okor. Yeah. Andre oh, yeah, Kirilenko yeah. teams. Like, yeah, yeah. They just haven't had good success. And Paul Millsap. Yeah. Oh, yep, exactly. Yep. So, yeah, you, you know, Rudy Gobert's probably plateaued a little bit. Mike Conley's on the decline. Donovan Mitchell, you said, maybe he's just not the guy. Or maybe he's just an offensive player, you know. Maybe he, he'll only ever be a star. He's not a superstar because mm. teams attack him defensively. Yep. Yeah, interesting times ahead for Utah. Yes, not good times, I suggest. No. But Vernon Maxwell will be happy because oh he loves trolling. Did you see He's so funny on Twitter, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. <laughs> he loves trolling. Yeah. He likes letting him know that he's still got two more championships than they do. In oh, the yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So the next round, Phoenix 2 currently leading Dallas. I mean, what have you made of that series so far? Well, I haven't had a chance to watch them, unfortunately. Luca's going nuts, but they need help. They need Brunson to play well. I think it could still be interesting, but Booker's back. I was amazed Booker came back. And he's played really well. He's maybe been their best player looking at the numbers and, and that. So Phoenix could... I don't know. Phoenix could wrap this up pretty quickly. Do you know what's scary is, I mean, just how relentless Phoenix are. And I've actually been watching it thinking it's so much more impressive to me that Milwaukee beat them last year. You might go with them for a half, maybe three quarters, and then they just find a way. They just keep scoring. You can't stop them. We've already mentioned how Chris Paul keeps defying his age and he just gets whatever he wants in the mid-range. Devin Booker, again, like whatever he wants, he gets. You've got... One of the best bridges. Ball- is- yeah, Bridge- oh, Bridges has come along. Yeah. One of the best three and D guys in the entire league. Yep. One of the best lob threats in the league yep. in DeAndre Ayton. And JaVale McGee's playing great off the bench as well. Bismack Biombo came in today and had a couple of nice dunks off the bench. Like they're getting literally yeah. everyone is producing. So yep. and I rate Monty Williams as a coach. Oh, he's brilliant. Yeah. He's brilliant. But they just they do. They've got so much length. They're gonna tire Luca out as the series goes by. And you just you can't help but wonder if we're heading towards like that Miami San Antonio two-year thing potentially it could Phoenix beat Milwaukee this time 
Phoenix have the home court advantage if it gets to that. I would like to think they would, yeah. yeah. But um, I'm kind of with you. I, I don't really see a way that Dallas takes maybe more than a couple in this series. They The big thing they've got to find is a way to dominate the free-throw line. Phoenix played them even at the free-throw line in game one. Dallas had maybe a two-point advantage there in game two. They've just they've got to get to the line more. And if they can't do that, it'll probably be over in five. And playoff Luca is amazing, but he needs help. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. On the other side of the bracket, Memphis 4 defeated Minnesota 2. It's a fun series, that one. How's this tweet from Lake Show, yo? Timberwolves' first team in NBA history to lose a series when they should be up 5-1. <laughs> it's you know, kind of true, it hey? It did feel like that. Like, yeah. oh, there was so much hubris. you got to play till the end of a game. Mm-hmm. And they did not do that. They blew some big leads. They blew some fourth quarters. And it's a good learning experience for them. But they did have a legit shot to win this series. Didn't I hear that they lost three games in that series when leading double digits going into the fourth quarter? Yeah, well, there was one game where they blew two different double-digit leads. Well, two different 20-point leads. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Game three, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it was a weird one. I mean, I guess the way you look at it is it's pretty simple. Ja Morant obviously keeps growing before our eyes. But the support that he's getting, you look at Desmond Bain's series, you look at Brandon Clark's series, Dylan Brooks is like a secondary player now, which is just nuts when you consider how important he was to that team just 12 months ago. And you can see how much they were missing Jaron Jackson Jr. last season too, mm. because he's had a real big impact at times as yeah, well. Yeah, when he's averaging two and a half blocks a game yeah, in, in the yeah, playoffs. Yeah, big in the middle, yeah. But then on the flip side, you look at, obviously, Anthony Edwards was excellent, but you had Carl Anthony Towns kind of drifting in and out of the series. Well, that kind of sums up Carl Anthony Towns as a player, really, doesn't it? it? It does, yeah. And then you had pretty much nothing from D'Angelo Russell. Malik Beasley was a little bit disappointing as well. Like, you had good patches from guys like Beverly and Jaden McDaniels and Jared Vanderbilt. Jordan McLaughlin was great off the bench. But there's just not enough for the Wolves right now. And quite frankly, the $30 million they're paying Russell and the $13 million they paid Torian Prince... That's highway robbery for mm, those two. Interesting. Just that is a lot for yeah. Those are the two contracts they need to find a way out of. Yeah, and interesting offseason again. Of you know, we'll probably say this for a lot of teams. Oh, that'll be better for the run though. I mean, Edwards Edwards is still really young and really promising first playoff performance from him. So. He's got a chance to be a superstar. Oh, absolutely, he like, does. Yeah, like yeah, a big time. Yeah, 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 for sure. Mm. Absolutely. The the interesting uh, way that Jeff Van Gundy summed it up on the Zach Lowe. The low post. He said that there was a lot of playing emotionally drunk by both teams. Yeah, okay. I can see that. (laughs) I can see that. Actually, funnily enough, I think Memphis is just starting to sober up. Yes, yes. I think think the Timberwolves probably uh, added to their buzz. Yeah, Mm. they probably fed off each other. I think so. Yeah. Now, on the other side, Golden State 4 defeated Denver 1. Just said it before and I'll say it again. Not a fair fight. Yeah, look, I, I, I mean, I don't think there's any worth spending any more time on it unfortunately Denver were woefully undermanned we've mentioned it so many times very predictable really gentlemen yeah. sweep like we said I've got I mean I've got a couple of things like the the Nuggets actually I thought did well to be somewhat competitive after game two but Will Barton was eh Aaron some Gordon, of some of Barton's decision making hurt them yep. yeah Aaron Gordon continues to be shit in the playoffs DeMarcus oh, he had Cousins, one good game but not enough DeMarcus Cousins was better than him yeah, well, Demarcus, he had a good game when Jokic got was it ejected or or was that the one he got fouled out or it was in major foul trouble? Yeah, Boogie had a big game in one yeah, of them. Yeah, good series in in limited minutes. So yeah, that was that was kind of good. We know what you're going to get from Golden State. Steph was great off the bench or starting whatever he did. The dub, <laughs> you know, the dub's got a good 
typical Draymond Green performance. And funnily enough, very similar from Gary Payton the second. Like he knows his his role. So yeah, he, well, he was very well, yeah, we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, yeah. Jordan Poole's first playoff series blew me away. 21 points a game on a 50-40-90 clip. And he was shit in the last two games. Three of 10 from the field in both of them. Yeah, right. For 11 and eight points respectively. So the first three games, he was probably shooting 60% from the field and averaging about 28 points a game. So he was brilliant. Super impressive. And look, if you're talking about the offseason for Denver, they'll get Murray back. They'll get Porter Jr. back. That's a very different series. Well, that's right. Denver will fancy that their roster is pretty bloody good. They just need to be healthy. Yeah. That's the key. Which is easier said than done. Yes, indeed. Especially in these playoffs. My God. Yes. Now, Golden State Memphis is tied 1-1 at the moment. Yes. Have you seen much of that? Uh, I saw the end of game one. Jeez. It's it's going to be chippy, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's going to be an interesting series. I'm glad they tied it up today because it was looking like it might be a quick one. I'm now wondering if this goes seven. Well, Especially it, with the Gary Payton injury. Th- this is the key talking point and the, the whole series turned in the first couple of minutes of game two. So we saw, I mean, Gary Payton did an amazing job on Jar Moran. Jar had 34, 9, and 10 in game one, but he had some turnovers, didn't shoot a great clip. He got forced into a few extra threes, but Dylan Brooks with a takedown. Yeah. What did you make of it? Oh, it was dirty. It was a dirty play. And Steve Kerr isn't one to lose his stack, but he lost his stack about it. Like he was not impressed. What was it get the fuck out of here, Brooks? Yeah, 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 it was, yeah. yeah it wasn't pretty, uh, unfortunately. And Payton now has a broken elbow. So the tricky part is, who guards Moran? Well, that's right. That's exactly right. And this is where the youthful exuberance of Memphis could really challenge Golden State because you've got to stay in front of him. And that's not, that's easier said than done. So, yeah, no, it's a big injury. It is a big injury because, I mean, Steph Curry's not getting any younger. Clay Thompson, like, they're, they're older guys and they are decent defenders, but uh, you can't stick Draymond on him. i got an idea. What about Kaminga? Okay. Taller than him. He's quick. He's athletic. He, we know he can jump to the obviously. Yeah, well, maybe maybe they should chunk it up with a bit of bit of Draymond and, and Kaminga well, and throw throw a few of those guys. One Toscato Anderson. He's yep. a, he's a real scrappy defender. Yep. Andre Iguodala, if he's fit, you know, throw him on there for a few minutes, give him different looks. As soon as Peyton left the game, everything changed. Morant, 47, 8 and 8. He got to the line more. So three free throw attempts in game one. He got there 13 times in game two, which is a massive difference. Guys were having to give him more space. So he was able to kind of make his decisions at a slower pace. He shot a better clip. He made better decisions. And then he scores Memphis's last 15 points. Yeah. One of the best and most spectacular four-plus minutes of all you'll see. This could be a big series for him. He could have some big numbers by the mm. end of this. Yeah, She's Memphis Phoenix. It'd actually be quite fun. Yeah, it would. It would. Mm. But I, I don't know. I, I'd probably give Golden State a better chance against Phoenix, but they've got to get past Memphis first. I think this is one of those ones where, like I said, the athleticism and speed of Memphis could trouble Golden State a little bit with Peyton out now. So yeah. it's good for the, the kind of neutral fan. Like I said, could go six or seven now, whereas before it was looking like it might go five. Yeah. So, yeah, waiting with bated breath on that one. Mm-hmm. So we'll move out east. We'll start off with the eh part of the draw first. So Philadelphia 4 defeated Toronto 2. And full credit to them because there was a lot of rumblings, ourselves included, thinking, oh, they could blow this 3 nothing lead. But they closed it out, much like Phoenix did. A couple of really kind of tricky ones, but both teams showed that they were better. But fuck me, when will coaches learn? Oh, injuries, leaving was, guys. Was Derek Rose oh, not know, enough? I know. Was Luca not enough? Oh, it happens Stop all the time. Stop leaving your star players in blowouts. Yeah, I know. I mean, okay, Doc Rivers avoids becoming the first coach to lose a 3-0 lead. 
but then he jeopardizes the next series when game six is already over. Didn't he say that, oh, well, they still had their starters in? They were down 28 fucking points. But that's like, like that's just... such that's such flawed logic. <laughs> it's like saying, oh, yeah, well, they all played barefoot, so I thought I'd instruct my guys to take their shoes off too. Like Pascal no. Siakam cut his right arm off, so, <laughs> you know, like, exactly. You're, you're your own coach. Make your own decisions yeah, and crikey. look what's happened. So we obviously know that Miami got through on that side of the draw as well because they uh, managed to take care of Atlanta fairly comfortably. Very comfortably. 2 nothing lead to Miami at the moment. Joel Embiid potentially back for game three or four. He has to mask up. Otherwise, there's no chance that... Oh, even with him, I mean, it's going to be tough. It will be tough. Very tough. And he's already got the dud thumb too. Yes. So he's, he's a bit made of glass, unfortunately. It's a shame because he's such a supreme talent. He's a really good player, but he just can't stay healthy. Mm-hmm. And again, I mean, a couple of years ago, the bubble playoffs, he had that MCL or something. So he, it's another unfortunate injury at a bad time. And they really need him because Harden isn't playing spectacular. He doesn't look like he even cares. Oh, well, I mean, Harden apathy is mm. one of his traits, isn't yes, it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Then you've got Danny Green's three of 16 in the two games. Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris are okay, but then... Oh, Maxey's been probably one of the shining been, lights. They've, they've been good, but they're not going to be close to good enough to get over the top of a team like Miami. No, not with their day. No. And, and even their depth as well. Like, if you look at the bench scoring... They had 42 points off the bench in game one, 52 in game two. Oh, they're a deep team. Oladipo's playing more. Oladipo. He had 17 odd today. Nine, I, think. Nine, I think it was 19 in yeah. game two. Tyler yep. Heroes had good games back to back. Yep. I, I dare say this could be over in four. Yeah, oh, very easily. It's four or five, probably. Yeah. This this Miami team feels a bit like those Spurs teams. No one gave them any credit, but they were super well coached. They had a couple of really good superstars, a lot of good role players, and a lot of Maybe role players isn't even a fair description of them, but just quietly doing their business, going along, no one taking notice, everyone looking at everything else. They could very easily get their way into another finals. Second in three years. Do you want to know the scary part? Miami's backcourt for these two games so far has been Max Struess and Gabe Vincent. Kyle Larry hadn't even played yet. Yeah, yep. And they're still doing it easy. Yeah, I think this one's over pretty quick. This could be a mercy kill. (laughs) Now, on the other side, Milwaukee 4 defeated Chicago 1. I didn't really see much of this series at all. Did you? No, not much. Bits and pieces. I mean, no. To be honest, I was probably the least (laughs) interesting series for me. I knew Milwaukee would handle them, even without Middleton. No Levine, no Lonzo Ball, no yeah. Alex Caruso in game five. Yeah. They had to start Javante Green and Io Dasunmu. Like, it's not going to work. Dasunmu is going to be a handy player. Oh, yeah. But it's but not, now, not right? against Milwaukee. No. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you can just say the health killed the Bulls this season yeah. for the second half. Just at the season. wrong time. Yep. Yeah, hit them hard. And as we said last week, Boston took care of their first series against Brooklyn in a sweep. So Milwaukee won tied with Boston one. Yeah, so Milwaukee pinched the first one, but Boston got that second one. Really impressive without Middleton. I, I keep banging on. Like he's such an important player for them. He's he's their go-to guy in the clutch often. Not it's not always Giannis. So I hope this goes seven. I got a question for you then. What's more impressive? The Milwaukee performance in game one without Middleton or Boston's performance in game two without Marcus Smart? Uh whoa, gee. Yeah, that's a good question. Maybe a push. Maybe. Okay. I know that's fence sitting. No, no, that's fair. But they're both really important in different ways. I mean, smart. Oh, I'm just such a Middleton fan. Yeah, fair enough. So, yeah, but smart plays excellent D. So, yeah, I don't know. What do you reckon? 
I think the Boston performance yeah. is more impressive just purely because... Smart's a bit more of an all-around player. Well, or? they got smashed with him. Yeah. And then they turned around and did exactly what Milwaukee did in game two without him. So, uh, yeah, this is one of those series. I think it could go pretty close to the distance if it doesn't. The way Boston wins this series, is, I think, is what they did in game two. They say, Giannis is going to get his. Let's turn him into a high-volume shooter. Put as many of those shots away from the rim as possible. You look at game one, he had help. 25 from Drew Holiday, 15 from Bobby Portis, 11 from Grayson Allen. Game two, he had similar points, 11 of 27 from the field, not great. Drew Holiday was inefficient. He actually has been in both, funnily enough. But his, his D, he's such a good defender. And he marks guys from the inbounds pass. So that by the end of the game, he's worn guys out. Yeah. So that's the beauty of Drew Holiday, even if he's not playing superbly well offensively. But see, that's why they need Middleton, because they can kind of mask that a little bit. It is a bit exposed without Middleton, mm. yeah. I mean, Tatum and Brown in game two, 59 points on 21 of 38, 11 of 20 from three. That's impressive. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, those two are looking... It's it's so funny that everyone was saying split them up. Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, I didn't think it was working that well either. Yeah, but it's that old marathon, not sprint thing. Yeah. I mean... People, I don't know, it's it's easy to forget that Imi Udoka was a new coach and they needed some time. They needed a few weeks, maybe months even, to kind of settle. And now they have. Yeah. And, and they're going to rely on people. I mean, Grant Williams was six of nine from three. That helps. So they're going to rely on getting good minutes out of him, good out of Time Lord, out of Peyton Pritchett, all of those. And guys. they'll get, yeah. And they play good D. I, I hope this goes seven. Yeah. It's a mouthwatering prospect. So some interesting second round series. It's going to be great to see where these go. I will just quickly mention, because you did just say about game sevens, just the second time since the first round went to seven games that we didn't see a single game sevens. Yes, I saw that last night. Only 2011 didn't. Yeah, okay. Where did you see that last night? Was it on Twitter? Uh, No, I watched a fair bit of first take. Speaking Ah, of first take. I did the research on that like three days ago. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of first take. I've got to say, JJ Redick is a breath of fresh oh, air on ESPN. He, he is so good. He called out uh, Mad Dog, I think his name is. He's basically a Skip Bayless clone. Why you would want to clone Skip Bayless, I don't know. But anyway, like called him out, holds people to account, cuts through all the ESPN bullshit of like Lakers love and like there's no sugarcoating with him. And look, it might mean that <laughs> he gets in trouble with the brass. Of, but yeah, he's a breath of fresh air. Great to watch. One Great the, analyst. One of the most intelligent guys. You always felt like he would be a good analyst, kind of like a Tim Legler. Yes. Yeah, love legs too. Yeah. Really yep. great analyst or a great coach. And I'm glad he went down the, the analyst sort of thing. Yeah. And funnily enough, Stephen A on first take last night said the Lakers should trade LeBron. And I've been saying for at least a month they should consider it. And look, there's got to be a desperate... And JJ said, nah, nah, like JJ kind of poo-pooed it. But there would be a desperate team out there that would consider going for LeBron. Mm. And if you had a good deal, you, I think that'd be silly not to take it. The Lakers, yeah, get that's them, an interesting get, situation. Yeah, absolutely. I had it noted down somewhere. I don't know where it's gone. But apparently the ratings are up for the first time in a long time, like maybe a decade or nearly a decade. And some people are speculating it's because LeBron and the Lakers aren't in the playoffs. Like people are a bit sick of him. Mm, fair enough. As other people are saying, oh, it's because there's no politics this time. And obviously with the bubble, they had the Black Lives Matter. Well, they had postponed games and all that sort of thing. So some people are saying, oh, it's because of that. I don't know. Maybe the truth somewhere in the middle. But it's good the ratings are up. Mm. And I'm optimistic for the rest of the playoffs. I think in spite of all the injuries, and some guys have come back, I think it could be pretty exciting. And I think... That Milwaukee-Boston series is is pretty mouthwatering. That's juicy, isn't it? Yeah. So we'll race through the AFL quickly, Stewie. How'd you go in tips? I'm on 42. I've been seven or five nearly every week. There was one week I had a six, but I was alternating seven, five, seven, five, seven, five. 
had six last week, eight the week before. I don't actually know what I'm on for the season. I'm probably a couple behind. Okay. Yeah. I probably think I'm probably on like 39 or 40. But um, yeah, the eight was a good little round. I was one off the margin in that one as well. My girlfriend had nine that week. She's tipped one round the entire season. She had a nine. It's on our fridge. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I'm never tipping again. Yeah, quit while you're ahead. But... Yeah. <laughs> oh. Dear me. So. Where do you want to start? Oh, you've got some West Coast stuff there. Do you know they've used 42 players to round seven? Yes. That hasn't happened since 1910 when St Kilda had to do it. In other words, before World War One. I. I know. My I'm gosh. Well aware of it. <laughs> is there a point where enough is enough? So Adam Simpson's now in health and safety protocols. The Eagles have 22 players total available to take on Brisbane this weekend. Yeah, and their waffle team's decimated too. Well, they've had to take that many players away. That yeah. the, the game against East Fremantle's had to be probably. Yeah, yep. So, I mean, you combine that, look at this, 109-point loss over the weekend to Richmond. That was over at quarter time. 84-point loss to Port Adelaide the week before. One goal to three-quarter time. Yeah. 63-point loss to Sydney, the game we were at the, the week before. The blokes derby, yeah. Yep. yep. That was over by quarter time. And I, I'm almost pissed off we didn't win by more now, well, seeing those other results. And we've got Melbourne next week. So, yeah, yeah. like, how rough can it possibly get? Speaking of Melbourne, i got to quote this tweet from NotLex682, Stewie. It's fine to be young and bad, North. Old and good, Cats. Preferable even young and good, swans. But never, ever be old and bad, West Coast. Or Putin. <laughs> okay. He's old and bad. <laughs> now, I was talking about this with a mate at work today. First time we've seen each other in person for four months and talked about sport the entire lunch break. And then at the end went, oh, yeah, how's your family? Good. Yeah, yours? Good, good. Okay, yeah. Talking Who about- cares? <laughs> yeah, sport is life. But we talked about the Eagles window. And look, I think they had to keep having a crack. Guys like Natanui near the end. The Kelly trade made sense at the time, but it just hasn't worked out. It's just one of those things. It's just sport sometimes. Crash. Yeah, could be some lean years ahead for uh, the Eagles. Yeah, say so. Yeah. So I think we got to talk about Frio, Stewie. Are they the real deal? How's this? So they went into Geelong and it was a scrappy game, real arm wrestle, big win though, because we'd kind of said previously, uh, a lot of their wins are against lower teams on the ladder. And as my mate said the other day, well, they're lower on the ladder because we handed them a loss, which makes sense. Yep. But Geelong are 65 and 12 at Cardinia Park since 2012. So in the last 10 years. Gumba. Yeah, basically. Yeah. A quarter of those losses have been to Freo. Three of those 12 losses. Yeah. Geelong, like Freo's almost their bogey team. That That's a good scalp for the Doctors. It's a very big scalp. It, it adds to the, their legitimacy. And they're actually getting some respect in the East media and stuff. And it brings me to an interesting question at this stage. Fremantle or Brisbane? Oh, definitely Brisbane. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. Brisbane okay. are the second best team in the cup. thought you might have maybe given that a bit of consideration. No, no, it's Brisbane. It's okay. Brisbane. Frio and Sydney are battling for third and fourth. That's probably the top four, I think. I mean, I'm with you completely. I do have Brisbane. I don't yeah. think it's by a mile. No, I think Brisbane have a better forward line. Dockers have a better back line. Well, it's interesting if you look at it. So Brisbane have the best attack in the league comfortably at this stage. Yep. Fremantle, the second best defense in the league behind only Melbourne. They're one point behind them in terms of points allowed. I think you've got to give it to Brisbane because they do have a solid defense as well. So they've got the fourth best in the comp. We know how many options they've got in front of goals that can kick two or three. I mean, Danaher was subbed out of the game and you had other guys. Well, that's what I was going to say. Even with Danaher out, I think, what, six to eight weeks? So it's a long, it's going to be a lengthy period. And he's made a glass. We've said it before. It's a shame. It's a real shame. But, they've got but they'll be okay. Yeah, they'll got still got be okay. That can, yeah. that can pop up. I mean, they said Dane Zorko popped up in the forward line and I think he had like five shots on goal. So 
you've, they've got guys that can really do that. We know what they've got in the midfield. Obviously, Lockie Neal is a perennial Brownlow medalist. Candidate, sort of, yeah, sort of yeah. Candidate yeah. or threat. Yeah. We know they've got all Australian talent in the back line as well. So they can beat you in a number of different ways. But Freo look fucking good, man. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. And if you look at their run, they've got a very good run. So the next three weeks, North Melbourne, Gold Coast and Collingwood. Yep. Three very winnable games. Yeah, two of those three are at home too. Exactly. And that's the thing is having Collingwood, who are playing decent football right now, having them at home is huge. Helps, yeah. Although they play in Perth pretty well. They they do. But you'd rather be playing here than at the MCG. Absolutely. Yeah. It gets a little bit trickier after that. They've got Melbourne away, Brisbane at home, Hawthorne at home, Carlton away. And they do have Richmond, Melbourne, the Dogs. They've got the Swans coming here too again. Yeah, so they they do have some tricky stuff coming up, but they have set themselves up beautifully. They should be nine and one after 10 rounds. Oh, yeah, yep. And and they were without Dust on the weekend on top of no Fife and no... Tabernacle. Yeah, yep. Yeah, and but it's it's all these. Like, I'm actually looking at it, saying they are basically the Tassie Jack Jumpers of the AFL. Well, there's a lot of guys having career years, I think. But a lot of cast off guys. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Collier, Blake Acres, Acres, Aish, and they're all really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Collier, and I've got to say, Lockie Schultz is having a really good season. He is, and the one that Brayshaw obviously would be a Brownlow contention at the moment. He would be, yeah. And we're forgetting about Clark as well, who had a great game against his old club. Absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. So, definitely, yep. So true. yeah, geez, I tell you what, I mean, there's no doubt that Frio are the real deal, and I dare say they've probably locked themselves into finals already. And I think it's also culture. So J Lo is clearly a coach that they believe in, and they've bought into his philosophy, and and they want to ride with him. He's so their, he's their Scott Roth. Yeah, yeah, no, I can see the comparison. Like there's a lot of... Apart really... from the expansion, obviously. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's, yeah it's no, no, little... yeah. They even have green. They, the... they do. Well, they used to. Not so much. It's green, green and red. Yeah, they used yeah. To, back yeah. in the day. Yeah, so, no, look, honestly, I, I did think you would probably think about that for more than half a second, but yeah. Well, Brizzy just beat my team. I've I got to say, like when we were at the Swans-Eagles game, I said we can't keep spotting teams' leads. And North Melbourne, it took us the whole game to peg it back. We were lucky to win. Isaac Heaney got us over the line. Hawthorne, I think, kicked, what, the first five goals? And then Brizzy, I think it was, what, 49-16 at halftime? Yeah. And Buddy's third-quarter performance was one for the ages. It was like turning back the clock a decade. Yeah, four goals in 10 minutes. Yeah, oh, it was fantastic. That first goal was in the first minute or so, I think, Mm. a little snap around the body. But, like, oh, can't keep spotting good teams' leads. That's the difference. North and Hawthorne we could handle. Brisbane are a good team. Yeah. I'm so annoyed. I was going to tip Brisbane and I changed my pick at the last minute. I, I actually changed mine last minute. Yeah, because my gut said Brisbane will win this. But then I heard that they hadn't won in Sydney for like, God, Ages, 15 yeah. years or yeah. something. Oh, anyway. Yep. That's one I regretted changing. Indeed. That's all right, though. But I think probably the big thing that we need to talk about is this whole Jack Ginevan issue that's come out of Collingwood. The blonde bonnet, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he looks a dead set superstar. He's had 20 goals in his 11 games so far, 14 from six this season instrumental in Collingwood beating Gold Coast and being in the top eight right now. Got a bit of mongrel in him. Bit of mongrel. Great Anzac Day medal winning performance against Essendon. Five goals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's gone out and celebrated with some mates over a couple of beers and found himself in a bit of trouble. Now, I think Matthew Richardson put it best. I'll read this direct quote from him. Without going overboard, I feel that a couple of drinks after a game with a friend, it's not going to do you that much damage if you drink responsibly. And I think it's a little bit of a mental release with players. Most of the week, you're under pressure to get your body right, to come up for the next week mentally as well when you need to perform. These guys are stressed out a lot about their performance. So a few hours after the game, a couple of beers, I don't see an issue with it. No, me neither. I think it's this is where 
sports science has got a bit mad. People need a release. Well, we talk a lot about the mental health of a lot of these players. And, and sometimes, yeah, being able to take a step back and say, okay, we're human beings here. We're not robots. You can't program us in to just completely cut the booze out. I mean, okay, there's that whole, well, where's the line sort of question. But a couple of pints. Yeah. I mean. It's yeah. Not, oh, it's yeah. It's not going to kill you. No. And I, I do, I agree with you. I think it, it is lunacy. I think this whole, yeah, this sports science era. I mean, go back to like the 80s. Guys would go in and, and it's the same with cricket. It's probably the same with most sports. Guys would go and have a chat after the game with the opposing players. They'd go and have a couple of beers and just relax and talk about the game. Well, you hear stories of the NBA where guys are going to strip clubs till all hours the night before and then playing. There's there's that kind of myth that Harden plays better when he's been in a strip club till 4am the night before or whatever. Jeez, I'll tell you what, Philly needs to get him into a couple of those. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, uh, it is lunacy. Did we overdo it with the remonstration hands-up rule kind of thing? Like maybe it was pretty extreme and there was going to be a hard kind of couple of weeks where players... Did we overdo it? Well, I'm wondering if, yes, it's hard, players have to adapt, but once they've adapted, maybe maybe it's good because there's a major problem with umpiring in AFL. Basically, there's a shortage of 6,000 people. So they need to encourage people to get into umpiring. I don't know. I just, I know we poo-pooed it and look, it might still have been a bad decision. But if players do adapt, and players have to adapt, they adapt to the stand rule, for example. I mean, we still don't like that. Yeah. I don't know. I just wonder if we poo-pooed it too much. The stand rule is stupid. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's that's another issue altogether. The hands-up rule is stupid. Yeah. I'm sorry, but I'm, I will not relent on this. It is ridiculous. The reason that so many people aren't umpiring is because they're making it way too difficult with all of these little piddly rules. Just make it simple. It's a simple game. Just keep it simple. I think that's going to be a really interesting one to follow because, because if players do adapt and they do stop bitching at umpires, I don't know, maybe it will have its desired effect. It'll I've had a chance to think about it. I still don't love it, but I'm prepared to have the jury out on that one. It'll be when it costs someone a game or when it costs someone a final. Yeah, yeah. That's when you'll really True. start seeing it. Now, speaking of bad stuff with umpiring, we talked about Gill and his great legacy. Clearly, when it comes to females, his legacy is terrible. Yeah. So there's two really bad things. One is the AFLW are meant to start in five weeks. Now, apparently the players found out due to a Kelly Underwood leak, basically. They're semi-pros. They're not like on 800K a year like some of the blokes are. Five weeks? This isn't good. Some of them aren't living in the state that they play for. It's terrible. And then there's this report about women in football that the AFL commissioned that they didn't bother to fucking read. And it's really bad. Oh, it's horrible. Girls changing, like, or young women changing in the same room as old men. Like, blokes just coming in and taking their kid off in front of them. It's like, no. Like, I understand we want equality, but at the same time... No, no. No, no, no. no, Let me finish. Let me finish. No, no, I know know you're not. I understand we we want equality, but they've got to draw a line at that. I mean, you you can't be asking someone, you know, a a woman in her mid-20s or early 20s, to get changed in front of a bloke in his 50s. That's just, there's never a right time for that. Well, yeah, and look, I haven't read the report and I'm a bit scared to, but it, it, it's a major issue for the AFL and it's a real shame. Well, the, the issue that I sort of, and I, I read a, a decent amount of it, the issue is that you've got female umpires being spoken about inappropriately. There was one I read where there was a, a coach from one of the, the junior teams that would conveniently wait outside the change rooms and 
try and pick this female up. Yeah, I heard that one too. There was one who... There's been reports of inappropriate touching. Yeah, there there was one where, uh, I I don't know if it was a coaching staff or one of the members of one of the teams, I think, was making comments about one of the umpire's breasts. It's like there's... Yes, she said that she could hear them all talking. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that stuff that, that goes on and it is... Yeah, it's disgusting. It is. It's not good enough. No. It, it's a major issue. And let's hope they can turn that one around. A couple of quick things. Josh Caddy's called it quits at Richmond. Very good career. Premiership player on multiple occasions. 29, though. Yeah, well, hey. Injuries do it, though. Yeah, yeah. Footy can be tough. The other talking point is, will Melbourne go undefeated? Like, this is this no. is a mad talking point. No. And, and that's all it is. It's a talking point, isn't it? It's because people need things to talk about. They scored nine goals, 22 in a round six win over Richmond and 13-13 in a 10-point win over Hawthorne this week. There's COVID as well. <laughs> they're a bloody good team and they're probably even better than last season, which is scary, but it's very hard to go undefeated. Very, very hard. Oh, it is. And the thing is, they've got plenty of games coming up that are potentially a little bit tricky. St Kilda, okay, they probably will win that one, but it's it's a tricky game. They'll have to play the Dockers at the MCG in about four weeks' time. They've got the Swans the following week. They've got Brisbane. I mean, look, the thing that goes in their favour is that all three of those games are at the MCG. They do have a very MCG favouring schedule. They do have to play Geelong down at Goomba, though, which is, again, a tricky one. Oh, they'll they'll probably drop drop one of the games they shouldn't drop. The old kind of take your foot off the pedal loss. Loose to North Melbourne or something like that. Yeah, Yeah, it does happen. Or Adelaide or, you know, one of those teams that may be middling. Or West Coast. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Be the West Coast C team. Finally, we'll just finish with a bit of levity. Did you see the uh, Frazee pissed off that his record was broken for most goals without a behind? No, I didn't see that. <laughs> and then the other one was Daniel Gorringe on Twitter. Tom Lynch was the pick after me in the draft. He has two flags and tonight 200 games under his belt. I just knocked off a bottle of Pinot in a Zinger box. Mm. Hats off, Daniel Gorringe. I love it. I saw a very good reply to that. He might have 200 games and a couple of premierships, but... His name rhymes with orange. <laughs> okay. And you can't take that away from him. <laughs> and good on him. Bottle of Pinot and a Zinger box. I was going to say, Pinot and a Zinger box sounds pretty good that right about now. Cracking deal. Oh, I wouldn't turn it down if you offered it to me. All right, sure, you know what that music means. What do you have for? Well, I mean, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? It's the Battle of the Altars with Malta taking on Gibraltar. Take it left at the altar. In the Valletta Cup. <laughs> Go, Gibraltar. <laughs> no, obviously, it's the NBL Grand Final Series and probably the continuation of the Grizzlies, Warriors and the Bucks and Celtic Series. And how about yourself, mate? I'll be a Jack Jumpers fan for the next week or so, Stewie. As Andrew Gay said at halftime of Game 3, if Melbourne lose this, they go home in disaster. If Tassie lose, they still go home heroes. I think it's going to be very similar with Sydney. All the pressure is on the Kings. I do still think they'll win, but I can't wait. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We're going to Sport Blokes.